Houston, Annapolis Center, do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31, continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra-right, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Hey, we have a very special show for you tonight. We have another in our series of World War II trivia contests. Uh, tonight, we're going to have a $100 prize for the winner. We're also going to be talking a lot about tonight. We're also going to be talking a lot about tonight, uh, Homes for Our Troops. We're going to have a special guest from the organization coming up in a little while. But let me introduce the members of the posse who are already here. Girls, get ready. Sit yourself down. Get your fan. Get your mister. Get your big box of Kleenex, your big box of wipes, your squeegee, and your loo because very famous Juan Juan is here. Yeah, bring the extra lube tonight, babe. Why you hey, you? Mac. Glad to be here. Glad to be on the trivia show. You're trying to say. Speaking of trivia, what's special about tomorrow? Well, hmm. no, tell us, please. Pearl Harbor. Anything? Tell us. Let's see. December seventh. Oh yeah, Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Yeah, we don't like to. Oh yeah. We don't like to put a date on the show. Thank you. Okay. Oh, okay. Jeez. That's right. Uh, anyway, right, delete it. Then. Okay. All right. We'll take care of that. Uh, Juan is joining us. Everything. How's things over there across the puddle? Lots of fun. It's, it's kind of crazy. Everybody's enjoying themselves. It's Christmas. Christmas is big here. Is it really? Yeah. Hmm. Not big here. It was the Thanksgiving holiday. I was the only one that celebrated well, because it. <laughs> I was explaining to some of my friends while watching the uh, USA uh, lose against the Netherlands. Okay, hang on. The Netherlands. Listen, hang on. Anyway, because the mighty yeah, Netherlands team. We scored two and, goals uh, in the I said, uh, because we celebrated Thanksgiving the other day, last Thursday, and mm-hmm. let me tell you about what Thanksgiving is all about. Okay, there's no so, turkey. I think over I did right. the politically correct version of what Thanksgiving is Excellent. all about. Right? Did you have like a tofu really turkey? It. You mean tofu turkey again? Yeah. Okay. Good. good. And I said, hey, thanks, thanks for the history lesson, and uh, buy a beer. Okay, sounds like the English way. Uh, Switchy and the Coco are out saving the world tonight, but with us is a uh, very good witch up there in Sideways New York. Raven is with us, Raven. And my friends, thanks for having me. Okay, we have to comment on your appearance. You get the hat on, and it looks like yep. pig- are those pigtails, Juan Juan? Am I using the right correct term? Yeah, they are. Okay, They're braids. Oh, braids, yeah, right. Okay, okay braids. That's what, that's what I would have called. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm channeling Wednesday Adams because I uh, had to binge the new series and it's fantastic. Is it real? I and think my it was a hair movie. is very messy and I, okay. I didn't have anything else to do with it, so I braided it. Okay. Cool. Channeling who? That's what I do. Wednesday. Wednesday Adams is a series on TV now. It's very popular. Oh. Is it a comedy or is it a dark comedy? What 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 is it? Yeah, it's a dark comedy. Okay. All right. It's really good. Yes. Okay. So tonight what we're doing is another in our series of World War II trivia contests that we've been doing now two or three a year for the past couple of years. 
And I'm, let me introduce some of the players, okay? And I think they've all played before. They're not sore losers, no matter what our female says. Let me introduce them. You say that now. Okay. First of all, let me introduce a super literary agent to the stars. Jim Frankel is here with us. Let's clap for him, please, because he will pop. And he's channeling Albert Einstein, as usual. Jim, how are you doing? Uh, well, it's a bad hair day today, let me tell you. It's rainy out there. Mm-hmm. It's it's dark. I mean, it's darker than it's been all year long yes. since uh, the summer, since the winter solstice last year. Mm-hmm. And um, I expect it's going to get darker still. Okay. What's that, have to, to what's that have to do with the bad hair day? Well, it's just that I, I had a lot to do today. I see. Okay. And, and I didn't have a chance to do a special quaff. I hear. Okay. It's okay. Uh, speaking of quaffs, down way down there in South Carolina is Jocko Johnson. Jojo, how you doing? All right, good, Mac. Feel good. How is okay. anybody else? Good, good. Good. You're in North Carolina, right, Jocko? North Carolina or South Oh, South? South, South, South Carolina. Oh, why do I keep getting it mixed up? Everyone does. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I did too for a minute or two. <laughs> We're representing both Carolinas tonight. Yeah, think of that. I didn't even know, I didn't even know where I was. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Also with us is um, Mr. Monopoly. I don't think I've ever called him that before, but it's uh, Phil Orbanes. A good friend. And let's clap for him, too, and then we'll go back and we'll clap for Jocko, too, because I will get letters. Phil, how are you doing? Phil is, um, first of all, I'm you're— I'm very fine. Thank you. You're the world's leading expert on Monopoly. Is that true? That That's what I've been accused of being, yes. Okay. All right. It, and does, now, does that mean—now, we should say that, you know, Phil is involved with a company called Winning Moves, which um, produced a lot of the games that we grew up with. Monopoly, specialized Monopoly is one of them. Risk is another one. Uh, name a few more for us, Phil, please, that we would know. Well, you Clue, the great detective game, mm-hmm. Boggle, the word tube game. Um, we also do now Scrabble Slam, which is a very popular card brain version of Scrabble. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and several versions of Scrabble itself. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and also the Ouija board, right? Also the Ouija board. And as a matter of fact, uh, I know we were talking about uh, the Ouija expert, Bob Murch. Uh-huh. Uh, the last time we were together, and Bob just actually unearthed the oldest box cover for Ouija uh, known to mankind, mm-hmm. going back to Baltimore, Maryland in the 1880s. Wow. He sent wow. me a copy so that I would be up to date. Yeah, wow. So That's the box cool. that the Ouija board came in. Hmm. Yeah, the, the actual artwork that was on the cover. Oh, the artwork. Got it. Okay, wow. That's cool. With, with the 1880s. Pardon me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's that's super duper. So, and, and um, Phil also joins us uh, every once in a while because he's, I think, you would um, a military historian. Would you put that on your resume, Phil? It certainly is a fondness of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably because when I was young, my dad had, uh, you know, served uh, uh, the entire European War, mm-hmm. and all of my uh, favored uncles had been in the war, and their friends. So. I was surrounded by uh, great people who never boasted or bragged about mm-hmm. anything they did. Yep. Same it, same it thing with my, my father was uh, my father was in the Pacific for four years. Um, didn't come home even for his father's funeral, and then uh, he he just read lots of history books about the war that he was in, and they were always around our house. And um, even before I could read, I would just you know look at the pictures, you know. 
because there are airplanes and there are all you know ships and all yeah. the cool stuff. That's how I get into it. So my father never said one. I mean, he, he had a ship sunk out from under him, and um, I remember him ta- talking to me as a kid about it once, and never never mentioned it again because it wasn't like you see on TV. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, let's wow. give a hand for Mag's dad. That's a book that, right okay. there. I will, uh, I will clap. My so, father was a radio man in the Navy. He was in the Pacific Theater, and they almost got hit by a kamikaze plane. They have a picture mm-hmm. of it in, in their yearbook of mm-hmm. the plane coming over and just missing uh, the communications tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just plunged into the ocean. Yeah. So it got shot down, but uh, as it's coming in, you know, wants to take something with it and mm-hmm. dismissed. Yeah. My, my father's boat was a actually in kind of in the rear area. He was on a, a ship, or it was a repair ship, so they would dock with a ship that needed to repair, internal combustion repair ship he was on. So they were um, docked in New Caledonia. You used to hear that all the time in McHale's Navy, right? And Yep, did. Right. And they... And, a, and a, one Japanese plane came in with one bomb, and the bomb hit an ammunition ship that was docked in the middle of them, and it sank the six ships around it. My father's ship was one of them. So one bomb sank like about six or seven ships. Mm-hmm. Anyway, wow. yeah. But but like you say, never said a word, never bragged, never said anything about it. Just, yeah. you know, that, that whole generation just kept it in. You know what I mean? If you heard people bragging about it, you know they were full of crap. So That's right. That's exactly what my father would say. Go ahead. Yep. Must have been scary as hell seeing all those ships being sunk. You know, the one you're on. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of ships back then, uh, if they play the song, every ship has a song, but a lot of ships would play when the bear goes. If the bear goes over the mountain, is that the name of that song? Right. The the bear goes up. When when you hear that on the PA, that means abandoned ship. And my father was just Mm -hmm. telling me. I remember him telling me. He says, "Yeah, I was just waiting for the song to come on." But people were going over the sides and getting killed and hitting other ships, and it's just nuts, you know. So when they played the song, over the side they all went. And I think about a third of the people in the ship, you know, didn't make it anyway. Uh, so tonight we're going to be doing a World War II trivia contest. Um, I've done the questions. I hope they're not too hard because last time I did this, I heard that they were a little too difficult for some of the contestants. Do you remember that, Raven? Do you remember the uh, complaints? I do. Um, I remember not knowing the majority of the questions. Um, so I I mm-hmm. shouldn't be asked if the questions are too hard because they're all difficult for me. Okay. But I do remember getting some complaints. Some disdain, right. Okay. All right. Well, you know, we Back, did- I got a question for you. Who or what is the ultimate reference point for the questions that you have come up with? Oh. You know, like uh, you Wikipedia, your- Encyclopedia Britannica, no. the history of World War II. Just a noodle. Um, you know, I, I just stuff I've come Victory across. at Sea program. Oh, I used to watch that all the time. Remember that yeah. show, Victory uh-huh. at Sea? Oh, yeah, of course. Whew. Great music. That was a must-watch program. The score by Richard Rogers. Richard Rogers, yeah, I have, yeah. I have the original LP album of that. It was yeah, great. my father had that, too, that yeah. Radio wow. show once. That was amazing music. That was great, stirring music. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. yeah, Victory at Sea. Wow, really going back. Um, you know, I do have a bunch of... Um, you know, I don't want to call them fun facts, but just interesting facts about World War II that I came upon while I was uh, coming up with the questions. While I was coming up with the questions. And uh, I don't know, some of these just kind of fascinated me. They kind of were odd, some of them are. So in World War II, British soldiers got a ration of three sheets of toilet paper a day. Three sheets? Americans got 22. Wow. 
Wow. What are they trying to tell us? Those posh Americans. Well, if you saw British toilet paper, you'd understand why. Oh, really? Is it like sandpaper? Tell me about it. (laughs) Okay. Um, More Russian soldiers died in the Battle of Stalingrad than U.S. and British soldiers died in the entire war. Right. How about that, man? Over almost uh, 800,000 more Russians, military and civilians lost their lives during the siege of Leningrad. Yeah, then American and British soldiers combined in World War II. I think um, a million people died, Russians died in Stalingrad. Stalingrad or Leningrad? Stalingrad. Stalingrad um, yeah. Hitler's nephew served in the U.S. Navy. I think he was a buddy of Juan Juan's. Ever hear that? Hitler's nephew, William no, Hitler? Oh, it's true. Yeah, I remember that. I heard that. They're yeah. from Long Island. That? They still live out there. I think, yeah, yeah. They lived in New York. Um, <laughs> the f- they did that on Drunk History. Oh, did they really? Drunk History? Yep. That's where I got a lot of the questions, by the way, Juan. Oh, okay. Now we're, now we're clear. <laughs> now we know. Um, the first bomb dropped on Berlin by the Allies killed the only elephant in the Berlin Zoo. Yeah, I remember seeing that. <laughs> uh, let's see. Wow. And by the way, it was not dropped by a British pilot. It was dropped by a Polish pirate for, pilot for the RAF, and I know that man's son. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Did, did the elephant rights people ever get on his ass about anything, Phil? <laughs> you know? Not a peep. <laughs> um, okay, here we go. The original abbreviation for the National Socialist Party was NASOs, N-A-S-O's, N-A-S-O. The word Nazi derives from a Bavarian word that was first used as a term of derision by a journalist, Conrad Haydn, in the early 30s. So Nazi, what Nazi really means is in Bavarian, it means moron. You know that? <laughs> good. Yeah. That's, that's fitting. Yeah, that the Nazis were, I thought that's they're. Good. <clears throat> that's good trivia. I like it. I thought they were I proud thought it was of it. the National Socialist Party. Okay. <laughs> um, do you That's know what that? I thought too. Well, it is, yeah. But in in German, um, they're morons. Yeah, uh, in the German uh, alphabet, it's it, it's Nassau. Nassau, right? Um, <laughs> Nassau. That's a good one. Do you know that the Nazis' fight song is actually the Harvard fight song? Okay. Uh, the the Nazis' no. Sieg Heil March is actually the Harvard fight song. Does Harvard know that? I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, they're uh, I don't know, whatever they used to, the National Anthem always, the National Anthem always sounded like um, the graduation march. Yeah, well, know, that's what it is. Graduated college, mm-hmm. yeah. Is that it? Okay. Okay, so now, get this. In December 18, mm-hmm. 1941, Britain and the U.S. declared war on Japan, right? On December, on December 11th, Germany declared war on the U.S., the U.S. is the only nation Germany formally declared war on in World War II. Yeah. That's strange. Hmm. Okay, here's the last one. That is interesting. After the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt searched for a bulletproof car. However, because government regulation prohibited spending more than $750 to buy a car, the only one they could find is Al Capone's limo, which had been seized yeah. by the Treasury Department after he was arrested for tax evasion. If I said, I, I hope remember, Mr. I saw that car once upon a time when I was young on exhibition somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't have bulletproof cars before that. You know, no. Yeah, I think I think later they took it out of the military budget part to yeah. get you know armored cars. A friend of mine. By the way, I have I have a good Al Capone trivia question. Go ahead. What is it? Al Capone was the youngest of four brothers. He was the only one of the four who was actually born in America in Brooklyn. 
Uh, his father, who was a barber, emigrated here and had three sons uh, in Italy. The oldest son is the subject of the trivia. The oldest son at uh, about the time that Al Capone was rising up in the uh, underworld mm -hmm. uh, left home. And the family only heard from him once. And that was a year later when he wrote a letter to them from Kansas City. And then they heard nothing from their oldest son thereafter. However, it's worth noting that the oldest son's hero was a cowboy actor named William Hart, H-A-R-T. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, it's, he was in it all the so old. happened that in um, 1927, when Al Capone was, you know, the king of Chicago, that William Hart surfaced. Oh, uh, in other words, this was his oldest brother under the name William Hart. Really? And at the time, he had uh, joined a security agency and was actually a bodyguard for President Coolidge. Wow, really? <laughs> Holy crazy. cow. You, you, know, you know why he left, right? He left Brooklyn because he killed somebody or almost killed somebody. They pinned it on him. He told him to hit the road. William uh, he goes to shoot. That. Yeah, uh, I can tell you a story that's a rumor in my family, and I don't know if it's true or not, but my grandmother's brother owned a small cafe on Sand Street right under the Brooklyn Bridge where they lived. And uh, Capone, supposedly at like 14 years old, used to like to walk my grandmother home from school. Hmm. And he worked in the place doing errands, and she would show up after school to help until her brother pulled uh, Alfonso over and said, Ew, this don't happen. Go home, you know, walk home alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so he was 13, 14, he listened, right? But he, the rumor in my family always was that this guy, the brother Steve, he gave him the money to beat it by the town. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they were, his brothers, Phil, I don't know if you have yeah. it there, like, uh -huh. they were all fantastic ball players. <laughs> really? The one of them was One of them was looked at by minor league teams. I think he played a little bit of minor league ball. They no, I didn't know that either. Huh. And Al was a catcher, I think. And they all uh, played in these Brooklyn like semi-private, uh, semi-pro leagues. They were really here's, good ball players. Here's a trivia wow. question for you, Ready? Wow. What That's principal funny. character in the Cold War once had a workout for the Baltimore Orioles? The what for the Orioles? Had a workout for the you know had a, had a workout for the Baltimore Orioles. Actually worked out for the Baltimore Orioles baseball team. What character? You said principal character. Principal character in the Cold War had a workout. Hmm. For the Baltimore Orioles as a pitcher, and we know Orioles always well, wait a pitcher. Wait a minute. Castro had a, had a workout, I, I thought, with the, with the Senators. Is Castro the answer? Yeah, Castro, yeah. He was a pitcher. Yeah. He was a pitcher yeah, for – Good you know, memory, Jim. They have good, they have, he couldn't throw – he couldn't master the curveball. Yes. So he became a dictator instead? Yeah, if you can't hit the curve with throwing the curve, you've got to hit the curve. <laughs> you can't make it, man. Why don't we take a uh, commercial break now, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Mill Trucks Now Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. So until you hear us next time, this is Mac Maloney for the entire gang saying, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye. Okay, the show's over. Hey, Cobra, where are we going to eat tonight? Well, gentlemen... What do you feel like? Chinese, Italian, sushi? How about we go where they have the best hamburger in the world? And where would that be, one one? Only the Starboard Galley. Starboard Galley? They're a great seafood place, but they're in Newburyport, and we're in Exeter. But they're only 20 minutes away down Route 95, and believe me, they have the best hamburger in the world. Let's go. Ah! 
Okay, boys, license and registration. Where's the fire? You clowns going to the circus? We're in a hurry just to get the best hamburger in the world. And where's that, Pally? That's the Starboard Galley in Newburgh. The great seafood place? Yes, but they make a great hamburger, too. And they start with the best beef. Super fresh buns. Great toppings. Plus, it's only 20 minutes away from Exeter, 25 from Portsmouth. Not with a police escort, buddy. Light them up, Switchblade. Starboard Galley. They're here. That's the Starboard Galley, 55 Water Street, Newburyport. Great seafood and the best hamburger in the world. And tell them Juan wants at you. Where is the Sea of Moons? Is it on the moon? Or in a haunted part of the Pacific Ocean? Or is it just in our heads? What if you dreamed of meeting a beautiful Irish girl, but she turned out to be a cop? What if you dreamed that you were on TV 24-7, but only the government knew the channel? And what if you dreamed you were shipwrecked on a deserted island and rescued by five lovely castaways, only to have some real pirates ruin the party? Then you should wake up and read The Sea of Moons, the latest installment in Mac Maloney's best-selling series, codename Starman. Follow the adventures of U.S. Navy's Special Agent Chris Starr as he travels the globe using his special ESP powers to solve top-secret mysteries. First in Ireland, then in Tahiti, and finally to Hollywood, where Chris and his girlfriend Angel discover the only spooks inside an old haunted house belong to the CIA. That's Codename Starman, The Sea of Moons by Mac Maloney. On sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. We've all heard of Area 51 the U.S. government's top secret base in the Nevada desert. But have you ever heard of Area 52, or 53, or 54? 54? 54? How about Tonopah Test Range, or the Navy's secret base inside the Bermuda Triangle? Find out about them and more in Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Did Richard Nixon show Jackie Gleason a crashed alien spaceship near the swamps of Florida? Is it true that more UFOs are seen over a small Scottish village than anywhere else in the world? And is there a secret place in Russia that some people think is heaven on earth? In Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, you'll visit more than a dozen top secret places around the globe. The haunted forests of New Jersey. A valley in Colorado where shadows come alive and humans can fly without wings. And where's the only secret base in America that's not been visited by UFOs? You've heard Mac talk all about these places on his radio show. Now you can read all about them yourself. That's Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Now on sale at Amazon. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Militrox Now Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, we have a very special show for you tonight, one of our World War II trivia contests. And I'm going to introduce the posse and also the contestants. So, girls, you already know he's here, the very famous Juan Juan. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Welcome to the show. It's going to be fun tonight. I, I hope put so. your thinking caps on. Yeah, you'll need them. You can um, play at home. 
No, uh, Coco, no uh, Switchy the Route saving the world, just like Batman and Robin. However, our favorite good witch is up there in Sideways. Yeah, Raven is with us. Raven. Hello, my friends. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, what's your drink du jour tonight, if you don't mind us asking? Um, I still have Kolsch. Kolsch, yeah, you still have some of that hanging around, huh? Mm. There's, I'm down to two 12-packs. That's what I have left. <laughs> okay. They'll be gone someday. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, let me introduce the uh, contestants tonight in our World War II trivia question. First of all, Super Asian Jim Frankel. Jim, how you doing? We'll put in the fake applause here. Jim, everything good? Well, here it's in Carolina. North Carolina, okay. The mist of the rainy day here. Yes, yes. And also, uh, almost next to you is uh, the show historian Jocko Johnson in South Carolina somewhere. Jocko, JJ, JoJo. Yes, yeah, South Carolina. South right. Carolina, down there somewhere. Uh, also, um, nowhere near South Carolina is our good friend Phil Orbanes up there in Magnolia, Massachusetts, where all the wealthy people live. Right, Phil? Yeah, I've, I've, I know some of them. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> Phil doing uh, material there. Cool. And also uh, joining us from Homes for Our Troops is General Tom. We're going to call him General Tom tonight, but please introduce yourself, General, once, and we'll all get it right. Hey, Mac. Tom Landemar here, okay. President and CEO of Homes for Our Troops. Great being with everybody. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Homes for Our Troops is a great organization. Uh, they build homes for people who have been um, injured, uh, maybe lost to live in combat action uh, in um, after, nine, after 9-11. They build them the homes and they adapt them uh, to their needs. You know, So there's not a lot of stairs, there's low account of space, things like that. And then when the home is complete... They tear up the mortgage. They give them the keys. It's theirs for free. They deserve it, and they can go out and uh, you know have a life where they don't have that um, mortgage payment hanging over them every month. Um, how many how many homes have you done so far, General? We're up to three hundred and forty six in forty four states, Mac. Wow, man, that's amazing. Wow, wow. that's amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, homes for our troops. Google them. Listen to what uh, what we have to say about them tonight. But they're a great organization. Eighty eight cents a yard. Dollar goes to our veterans, and that's very high in the um, military charity biz. So I don't think we should have to have charity for our veterans. I think they should be wanted by our government. That's another show. Homes for our troops. We'll be talking a lot about them tonight. So is everyone ready to play World War II trivia? Ready, Commander. Wow. Ready to go. Okay. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. So we have three segments, four questions each, Okay. Um, number one. Oh, so what we're going to do is write down. It's going to be A, B, C, D. Okay. Do you have pencil and paper? Should have checked before. When you come up with your answer, just uh, raise it up to the camera. Raven will take a count once we talk to everybody. JJ will be serving drinks. <laughs> Cheers. Okay. We ready? The Battle of the Buzz was the largest land battle fought on the Western Front during World War II. Starting on December 16, 1944, it was a German sneak attack back into Belgium and France. Nearly one million troops from all sides fought for nearly six weeks. How many American troops were killed during the battle? In other words, how many American troops were killed during the Battle of the Bulge, the largest land battle fought in, on the Western Front? 19,000, 28,000, 43,000, 51,000. How many U.S. soldiers were killed during World War II's Battle of the Bulge? 19,000, 28,000, 43,000, 51,000. Everyone get the answers? 
it's A, B, C, and D, right? A, B, C, yep, yeah, right, A, B, C, D. We good? Yep. Okay. Okay, we'll go to Jim first. Jim, how many? Uh, I'm going to say 43,000. Okay, let's see. Okay, uh, Jocko. You have A, 19,000. Phil. A, 19,000. General. What was B? 28,000. That's what I'm saying is B, 28. Okay. The answer is 19,000. Okay. Uh -oh. I, I hate to say it in a weird way, but it's lower than I thought it would be. It lasted for six weeks, and at the end of the six weeks, when the Germans finally kind of retreated, they had the worst weather in France in a long time, worst winter. And at some points, you know, the, the, the line that they were defending, there was like one guy per mile. It was just after the battle was really, really... A sketchy time until they get their stuff together. So, okay, number two. During World War II, many German citizens in urban environments cultivated, quote-unquote, roof, roof, bloop. wow. During World War II, many German citizens in urban environments cultivated roof pigs as a way of to supplement their government food rations. What were roof pigs? Roof pigs. Number one, pigs raised in styes on roof to prevent theft. Two, small gardens of barley used to make soup. Three, cats to be slaughtered and eaten when beef was in short supply. Four, quote-unquote, artificial bacon made from hops, rice, and celery stalks. What were roof pigs? Pigs raised on roofs, small gardens of barley, cats that were eaten when beef was in short supply, or artificial bacon made of hops, rice, and celery. That is an original. Yeah. Ravens give me the eye. I get a feeling she knows the. She knows the. I, I'm just hoping that it's not C. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Where did this question come from? Is everyone Anything with dogs? I know they would raise little sausage dogs and eat them. <laughs> don't even. Ronald used to own two of those sausage dogs. You know That's a shame. I, Leave I, my I sausage dogs. I don't, dogs I, I don't agree with. It. I love them guys. Okay. My my guy is half something. Everyone ready? Everyone ready? Love the I'm ducks. Sure, and... I'm sure they taste great too. Everyone ready? Okay, Phil, we'll start with you. Phil. Yeah, Phil says C, even though I don't like that as an answer. Cats to be slotted when beef was in short supply. Jocko. I was going to say D, the fake bacon, because them Germans are always up to inventing something. Okay, fake bacon. Jim, what do you say? <coughs> Jim, what do you say? I also the fake bacon. Fake bacon, general? I'm saying C, but I have no clue. Yeah. You know, it, it is C. They used to eat cats over there. They used to eat oh. oh, no. Yes. You're kidding. Yes. <laughs> They'll call roof pigs. Okay. Just for that, roof. I'm going to include a picture of my cat in the chat. So oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. Okay. Not again. Not and again. Then your heart is going to break in two. Good thing switches back here. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Three. Who designed the Nazis SS uniform? Okay. Number one. Designer Hugo Boss. Number two, Margaret Himmler, wife of SS Commander Heinrich Himmler. Three, Hitler's valet, Heinz Linge. Four, the Heers Deinstug Uniform Cooperative of Frankfurt. Okay, who designed the Nazis uniform, which looks very kind of, um, I, don't know. I don't know how to describe it. They were very well-dressed. The Nazis were well-dressed, or they wanted to be. Designer Hugo this Boss? The, this is the SS, right? The SS, right. Where they were very, very highly dressed. Does Hugo Boss, Margaret Himmler, the wife of Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's valet, Heinz Lynch, or the, I'm saying it wrong, the Heers Dunstag 
Uniform Cooperative of Frankfurt. It's probably initials for it somewhere. Okay. Okay, are we ready, kids? Ready? Could just one more time. Could you repeat the four yep. choices, Matt? Yep. Designer Hugo Boss, Margaret Himmler, wife of Heimer Himmler, who was the commander of the SS, Hitler's valet Heinz Lynch, and the Here's Don Stug Uniform Cooperative of Frankfurt. Okay, we ready? The third one was Hitler's valet? Yes, Heinz Lynch. We ready? Okay, General, I'm going to go to you for us. Who designed the Nazis SS uniform? I'm going to go with the boss company. You go Eight. boss. Okay. Jim, what do you say? Say Himmler's wife. Himmler's wife. And Jocko. I don't know why I'm with you guys. Jocko, what do you say? You go boss. Phil, what do you say? I'm going to say C, uh, Hitler's valet. Okay. It was actually Hugo Boss, the designer yeah, Hugo Boss. You know, he, was a, he was a staunch Nazi yeah. from way from the start. Right Still around, the too. Hey, Raven, you He's... keeping score, Raven? <coughs> Raven, you keeping score? Because I'm not. I'm, yeah. Okay. You good? I'm keeping score. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to say, he still appears in Vogue. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's huge. Yeah. It's, yep. That's crazy. I did not know that. I, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, right, Mac? Uh, yes, we did. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of companies yeah. over there that actually were working through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number four, the fourth question in the first segment of tonight's <laughs> World War II trivia contest. The first and only American helicopter used in World War II was the Sikorsky P-4. What were its primary duties? Okay, now there weren't very many helicopters in World War II at all. But the United States had one. It was called Sikorsky's P-4. What were its primary duties? A, hunting German submarines during the Battle of the Atlantic. B, reconning beaches in Normandy before D-Day. C, evacuating wounded soldiers from the Burma Theater. D, towing targets for Navy fighter pilots. First and only American helicopter, what did it do during the war? It's a tough one. See, I'm hoping the general will know because he flew army helicopters, right? Well, Mac, I didn't fly them then. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. Just because we didn't know about Were you on leave or something? You got to read a book, right? <laughs> Tom was on PTO. He missed yeah. that trip. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Wow. Okay. We asked the four options again, Matt. Okay. First and only American helicopter used in World War II. What were its primary duties? Hunting German submarines during the Battle of the Atlantic. Reconning beaches of Normandy during D-Day. Evacuating wounded soldiers from the Burma Theater. Towing targets for Navy fighter pilots. Are we ready? Okay. Jocko, we'll go to you first. First and only American helicopter used in World War II. What were its duties? Got to be one or two. It's got to be either the towing the planes or in Burma, but I'm going to say Burma because getting over that hump in those areas are really tough. Okay, C. Jocko says C. Uh, General. What were they again, Mac? Hunting I'm German sorry. submarines in the Battle of the Atlantic, reconning beaches oh. of Normandy before D-Day. Evacuating wounded soldiers from the Burma Theater, towing targets for Navy fighter pilots. Nah, it has to be C. Yep. Okay, C. General, what do you say, yeah. Phil? I say <clears throat> C as well. Jim? Yeah, I say C as well. Yeah, it is C. Evacuated wounded soldiers from the Burma Theater. 
It happened on April 25th, 1944. It was the first helicopter to see combat action ever in any kind of war. Okay, number two. <clears throat> and we want a uh, quick break or anything? Or should we go right into it? Go right into Raven, well. you have the scores? We should record. We should uh, just review the scores. Yep, I have Phil, Jocko, and General Tom all tied at three, and I have Jim at one. Wow, okay, all right. Don't give up, Jim. These are good questions. You're the Houston Texans of the show. Houston Texans. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good way. You know how you can make a lot of money in Vegas? Just bet against the Texans. I mean, I hate to say it, but. (laughs) The Texans. They still still think. They're awful. Oh, they're just beyond. Okay, so here we go. And they're they're playing the Cowboys this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're in Vegas, you know. Okay, so this is round two of our World War II Trivia Contest tonight on the Matt Military Exile Show on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Um, we're going to be doing three segments, and the winner's going to get $100 from the show. And we're also talking a lot tonight about homes for our troops. You know they're our favorite uh, military organization. They build houses for uh, our veterans who were hurt, uh, maimed in uh, action after 9-11. And once the house is built to their adapted to their needs, not a lot of stairs, you know, lower common space, things like that. They tear up the mortgage, they give them the keys, they give them the house, and then they can go out and live a life with not having to worry about a mortgage every month. So that's Homes for Our Troops. General Tom from Homes for Our Troops is here. Thanks for joining us, Tom. You bet, Max. Always great to be with you. Uh, it's a great Always. organization. So tonight, once again, we'll be talking a lot about them. So is everyone ready? Round two. Are the questions too hard? Tell me now. Oh, they're very good. good. Very good. Everyone is yeah. not. Okay. All right, here we go. General George Patton was one of the U.S.'s best battlefield commanders during World War II. He was also a very odd person. Which of the following four items about Patton is not true? Okay. Which of the following four items about George Patton is not true? Number one. Whoop, I don't know why I didn't go letters this time, but let's pretend. A, he made his officers wear ties into battle. Uh, B. He made officers keep their helmets. He made all his soldiers keep their helmets on at all times, even in the latrine. C. He once outfitted his entire command with equipment he bought at Sears. D. He once had FDR's personal assistant bumped from an airplane and a bag of special dog food for his bull terrier Willie put in the seat instead. Okay, I'll read them again. Who did you say? Who, that, that last <laughs> one. Just repeat that again. All right, I'll just I'll give them all four. What, what is not true about Patton? He made his officers wear ties into battle. He made soldiers keep the helmets on at all times, even in the latrine. He once outfitted his entire command with equipment he bought himself at Sears. He once had FDI's personal assistant, he's calling me now, bumped from an airplane and a bag of special dog food for his bull terrier Willie put in the seat instead. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Everyone ready? Not quite. Okay. Just just read it one more time, okay. please. Sorry. Yeah. All right. What is not true about Patton? He made his officers wear ties into battle. He made soldiers keep their helmets on at all times, even in the latrine. He once outfitted his entire command with equipment he bought himself at Sears. He once had FDI's personal assistant bump from an airplane in a bag of special dog food for his bull terrier Willie put in the seat instead. Well, I see steam coming out of some ears here. 
Okay, are we ready? Sure. <laughs> wow. I guess, Wawan, are the questions too hard? Do you think they're too hard, Wani? They're bizarre. I don't know if they're hard or not, but they're pretty bizarre. I would agree with that. They're bizarre, you know, but what do you want me to say? And how many? Um... There are things that there, there are things that you don't normally associate with World War II. You don't think about these things. Okay. You know, right. like, so we start the show. They're again? not bad. <laughs> Talk about your folks. Okay. Yeah, go. exactly. You are intrigued. All right, here we go. All right, so who, uh, we'll go to Jim for us. Jim, which of those things? Aunt I say. It's uh, the Sears that he that didn't, he didn't okay that he didn't buy his entire command equipment. So you took C. Jocko, I think he did buy them. Stevens and made by Savage Rifles in the North Carolina area when they were on uh, offensive uh, maneuvers before the war. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say it was D. D. That he uh, kicked D, off FDI's and David and kicked off FDI's personal assistant for a bag yeah, of dogs. That, that's not true. Phil. Um, well, C certainly sounded like a good answer to me since, you know, you always associate Patton with being in Europe, where I don't think too many Sears stores were open during yes. World War II. But uh, I'm also going to have to go with D because it sounds like something he would have done. Okay. All right. General, what do you say? <laughs> General Tom. Yeah. Um, I really got it down between A and D, uh, but I kind of cross off. A because it has to do with uniformity and he was yes, huge on being uniform. Yes. So yes, the ties yes. and the helmets really does it for me, even though I didn't see a lot of those guys running around in ties all the time. Yes. Um, Sears, he was independently wealthy. Yes. And he did yes. do a lot of buying and own gear mm -hmm. and stuff to outfit his yep. troops so they would have yep. what they need. And I'd, I'd have to agree that D is certainly something that sounds like he would do. Yes. Yes. I, I Even with all that, I'm going I'm to go with uh, D. D, okay. D is the correct answer. He never kicked off okay. after Yash personal assistant. But it sounds like, like I said, it sounds like something he would yeah. do. No problem. Yeah, I, th I think he was he was in North Carolina or when he was out west at the yes. Desert Training Institute, which he started. You got it exactly and right. Before sure. Africa. And he went and bought, like, uh, Stevens was the name of the rifles and shotguns that they sold at Sears, which were made by Savage Arms. Mm -hmm. And he went and picked it up because they were using broomsticks. Yeah, yeah. He actually did that. And he was very wealthy. He lived wow. down in Hamilton, right, right down and the it, street and here. It, yeah, for his a while. wife was more wealthy than him. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's an interesting guy, but an odd guy. And made him made his officers with ties into battle, and you always had to have a helmet on no matter what. Because that was uniform. It was yep. discipline. Uh, I, anyway, okay, number two in our uh, World War II trivia questions, in our World War II trivia contest tonight. Second round, question number two. On the morning of December 7th, 1941, Japanese aircraft were able to sink or damage 18 Navy ships, including six battleships ships during the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. However, the Pacific's fleet of however, the Pacific Fleet's trio of aircraft carriers was not at Pearl Harbor at the time, sparing them from the Japanese onslaught. One, air one aircraft carrier, the USS Territorial, one aircraft carrier, the USS Saratoga, was in San Diego having just completed a replenishment and refit. But where were the other two ships? Okay. A, I'll read it again. A, both were in San Diego getting repainted. B, both were en route to the Atlantic to hunt Nazi U-boats. C, both were on secret missions to deliver aircraft to Wake and Midway Islands. D, both were on goodwill, on goodwill visits to Australia. So basically... That was one thing about the attack on Pearl Harbor. They didn't sink our aircraft carriers, and that's why 
we were able to kind of storm back in shorter order than it would have been. But um, they bombed it anyway. Where were the three aircraft carriers the day that they bombed it, December 7th? And, and what are the options again, Mike? Uh, they were they were also in San Diego getting repainted. B, they were en route to the Atlantic to hunt for Nazi U-boats. C, they were both on secret missions to deliver aircraft to Wake and Midway Islands. D, both were on goodwill visits to Australia. And, and by the way, part of the conspiracy theorist argument for why they believe Roosevelt knew the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor was because the carriers weren't there. Mm, interesting. But that was not true. Yep. Right. Okay. Are we good? Ready? Right. Jim, I'm going to you, Jim. Uh, C, that they were delivering aircraft to Wake and Midway. Okay. Draco. I agree, because I think Bo Halsey on the Enterprise or the Hornet, I can't remember. He just came, like, sailing in right after it happened. Uh, Phil? Yeah, C. Okay. General? I'm just going to go with D, that they were out on maneuvers. I don't know what the mission was. Yeah, you know, it was C. They were, they were on secret missions to deliver aircraft to Wake and Midway Islands, and Wake, Wake Island got attacked that day, I mean, December 7th, and then the Battle of Midway, you know, a few months later was the turning point in the war, so... That's what they were doing out there. And everyone's always saying, well, why weren't they there? Like Phil says, well, of course they didn't want them to get sick if it's a conspiracy theory, but they were actually out doing stuff. Right. Okay, number three. Uh, during World War II, the Japanese had a huge spy ring, okay? And they, they were really good at it, too. And the FBI spent a lot of the war years searching for the Japanese biggest spy ring. So the question is, what was the location of Jap Japan's biggest spy ring during the war? A, Havana. B, Mexico City, C, Honolulu, Hawaii, 4, I mean, D, Lisbon, Portugal. What was the location of the Japanese biggest spy ring during World War II? Havana, Mexico City, Honolulu, or Lisbon? You mean this is where it was headquartered? Or? Yep, yes. Yeah, okay. And the answers were, again? Havana. Mexico yep. City, Honolulu, or Lisbon? Mac, while we're uh, waiting in this yes. intermission, um, oh, don't Friday is not happy about <laughs> the, about that one trivia question. Oh, I just man, want I'm, you to know. The roof <laughs> very does, upset. He have, does he have gray eyes? <laughs> look at him. Look, look, He's look got at him. Green eyes. <laughs> oh, okay. He's gorgeous. He's striped, kind of, right? Yeah. She, oh, that's enough. Yeah, she's a little tabby. That's enough. Yeah, because I couldn't. I had a black and white cat. Okay, like, here just we like go. That. I got to edit this. I'm you gonna you didn't. Uh, I saw the message, but I didn't see the picture. I have to edit all this up. Please get that cat out of it. Hey, baby. <laughs> all right, oh, here we go. Oh, oh see, oh, I called him. him. I called him. He's coming over. <laughs> she's like, is that Mac? Oh, I'm oh. out. Wow. Okay, here we go. Ready? All right. Where was the location of Japan's biggest spy ring during the war, World War II? Havana, Mexico City, Honolulu, or Lisbon, Portugal? Jim, we'll go to you. Not that I'm picking on you, but. Well, that's okay. Uh, I, I got to say Honolulu. See, okay. I could be wrong, but it just makes so much sense to me. Uh, General. I'm going to go with Honolulu as well. Okay. Jocko. Uh, also, see Honolulu. Okay. Phil. I'm going to say Mexico City because I seem to have read that they were relying on individuals to. Um, take pictures of Pearl Harbor and the hmm. ships there 
as opposed to pros, mm-hmm. professionals. So that's why I'm going with B. You know, Phil is right. It was in Mexico Whoa. City. They had an enormous Damn, spy ring. So. I wasn't sure. And the FBI searched you know, in the United States for all four years of it, and they never found it because it was, like, quote-unquote, across the border in Mexico. Okay, so the fourth question in this, the second segment. Here we go. The U.S. used 263 submarines during the war. They sank 1,400 ships, mostly in the Pacific Theater. Generally speaking, how many how many hours? Okay, generally speaking, how long? How much? All right, start again. This one is written in my <laughs> uh, my scroll here. Here we go. Generally speaking, how much time do did World War II submarines spend actually traveling underwater? Okay, how how much time did a typical World War II submarine spend actively actually traveling underwater? A, 90% of the time, B, 75% of the time, C, 40% of the time, D, 10% of the time. So, you know, how much time does a submarine actually spend underwater? They're switchy when you need them. You you ain't kidding. In in those days, I got to say that, these days, it's unlimited. Fairly yeah. certain Switch wasn't involved with World War II, but I could be yeah, wrong. But they would know, you know. You don't know. He probably would have mentioned it. I think he was on, yeah, I'm sure if he, if he was on a nuclear-powered ship or just had <laughs> nuclear weapons, so you might know. They probably to, teach it to me. I hate to say it, maybe that's how he lost his hair. No, listen. Oh! <laughs> Club ain't here. We'll cut that out. Okay, so uh, how, generally speaking, how much time did a World War II submarine spend actually traveling underwater? 90% wait, wait, of the time? Okay. Is this... A U.S. submarine? Yes, yes, yep. Yes, yeah, okay, okay. very important. Okay. A U.S. submarine. Yes. A, 90% of the time, B, 75% of the time, C, 40% of the time, or D, 10% of the time. How long did it actually spend traveling underwater? We'll go to, we'll go to Phil first. Well, I'm going to say D, and the reason I say that is because uh, the submarines had very long cruises from Pearl Harbor to get on station, mm-hmm. and they didn't have... A lot of uh, uh, battery uh, longevity mm-hmm. in the uh, at, in that time, and I don't think that they really could spend a good chunk of the ship. Uh, oh, and also, it was slow to be underwater. So if you're mm-hmm. going to get in the position, you know, it's better to be on the surface and then dive. So I'm going to go D. Mm-hmm. So they only spend ten percent of their time underwater, ninety percent of it above water. Yeah, that's my belief. Okay, Jocko. I'm going to say C, 40%, because they had to be able to spend a lot of time on water, but when, you know, uh, Jim. Uh, what you call it, hit the fan, they had to be able to get out of there and go after bad guys. Jim. Jim. I have to agree with Phil. I'm sorry to agree with you, Phil. It's against my principles. That's life. 10%? Primarily because of the question of the battery, the battery uh, longevity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they always had issues with you know with running on batteries you know and um and it, so i i think that it's d yeah it's d okay general what do you say c 40 percent you know what it's 10 percent. it's d 90 percent 90 percent of a submarine's time is spent traveling on the surface of the water they they, they had they, to be they they, they got down the world really. one subs left yeah over. Well, yeah. Left, there was another problem we didn't have snorkels on ours right yeah. so we didn't have Renewable air. Right. So you'd, you'd you do know. battery when you were under the water. You'd do diesel when you were 
on the surface, okay? And you it had and, to be early models. Yeah, and well, it was you know just in the um, first half of World War II, in the mostly in the Pacific, but yeah, that's um, uh, and they would and they would you know, you always see in the movies of um, submarines you know sinking things with torpedoes. A lot of them they just sank with their uh, deck gun. It was easier, right. it was quicker, you know. So anyway, submarines. So listen. We're going to take a um, commercial break now. Calm down. This is Mike Moni's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is our World War II Trivia Night. We're going to be talking a lot about homes for our troops when we come back. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. My dad, he's a double amputee, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. Homes for our troops built this house, and my dad can get through the wide doorways. He can reach anything. Homes for our troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. Where is the Sea of Moons? Is it on the moon? or in a haunted part of the Pacific Ocean? Or is it just in our heads? What if you dreamed of meeting a beautiful Irish girl, but she turned out to be a cop? What if you dreamed that you were on TV 24-7, but only the government knew the channel? And what if you dreamed you were shipwrecked on a deserted island and rescued by five lovely castaways, only to have some real pirates ruin the party? Then you should wake up and read The Sea of Moons, the latest installment in Mac Maloney's best-selling series, codename Starman. Follow the adventures of U.S. Navy Special Agent Chris Starr as he travels the globe using his special ESP powers to solve top-secret mysteries, first in Ireland, then in Tahiti, and finally to Hollywood, where Chris and his girlfriend Angel discover the only spooks inside an old haunted house belong to the CIA. That's Codename Starman, The Sea of Moons by Mac Maloney. On sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. We've all heard of Area 51, the U.S. government's top secret base in the Nevada desert. But have you ever heard of Area 52 or 53 or 54? 54? 54? How about Tonopar Test Range or the Navy's secret base inside the Bermuda Triangle? Find out about them and more in Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Did Richard Nixon show Jackie Gleason a crashed alien spaceship near the swamps of Florida? Is it true that more UFOs are seen over a small Scottish village than anywhere else in the world? And is there a secret place in Russia that some people think is heaven on earth? In Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, you'll visit more than a dozen top secret places around the globe, the haunted forests of New Jersey, a valley in Colorado where shadows come alive and humans can fly without wings. And where's the only secret base in America that's not been visited by UFOs? You've heard Mac talk all about these places on his radio show. Now you can read all about them yourself. That's Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Now on sale at Amazon. British Secret Service. Hello, money, Becky. Hello, 007. How's your mission to steal the secret sex formula from Dr. No-No going? It'll be going fine, ship from the two idiots headquarters shent with me. Hey, Matt, did Duffalo Krampus just call us idiots? Yes, he did, one one. He's an ungrateful putz. Nice car, though. Yeah, and you know what? Now it's my turn. But if you drive, what am I going to do? I'll drive. You shoot the machine. So no way, I'm driving. 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 I'm just a license for you and I'm driving. Oh, see what I mean, money, Penny? 
But James, we have to get the stolen formula Dr. No-No before the big two-for-one sale. I'm on it, Honeyman, but I've got to rid myself of these two mushmuffs first. Uh, well, huh? I still have the red button, don't I? James, not the red button. Cobra, save us! Hello, gentlemen. And you, Mr. Bond. Oh, my God. Is that Commander Cobra? Jumping from a helicopter through the shell roof of my Ashton Martin? Well played, Cobra. What are you doing here? Besides rescuing my two friends, James, I'm here to tell you that you don't have to steal the cardio sex formula from Dr. No-No. All you have to do is go online and order it yourself. Then you'll have plenty of the new energy drink that can give you the extra endurance you need to get through. Please, Cobra, tell us why it's called sex. It's called SEX for Strength Energy Accelerator. And it's easy to use. Just mix a scoop of water, shake it, not stir it. 30 minutes before you start your workout, and you'll find you can last longer and feel all around better about finishing your regime. Oh, my. And the mix comes in many different flavors. My favorite is passion fruit. Mine, too. Why, you little trollop. Hey, Mac, look at all these buttons. I wonder what they do. I don't know. Push one and find out. Not, not, not the, the big red one. No. Geez, I hope he's wearing his rocket belt. Guess not. That's SEX Workout Dietary Supplement, available only through Cardillo USA. Visit CardilloUSA.com for more details about our big two-for-one sale. That's C-A-R-D-I-L-L-O-U-S-A.com. And get some sex today. Imagine you knew what was going to happen two seconds before it happened. Imagine you lived with the world's most beautiful supermodel. Imagine you drove a Jaguar with machine guns behind the headlights. Well, it's time to stop dreaming and start reading about Navy Lieutenant Chris Starr, hero of Mac Maloney's new best-selling paranormal detective series, Codename Starman. Who murdered the most beautiful tea girl in San Diego? Who's bombarding a small Massachusetts town with heavy artillery on Christmas Eve? Who's causing the mass murder of terrorists in the jungles of Africa? These are the cases Lieutenant Chris Starr must solve in the Kalashnikov Kiss, the first book in Mac's exciting new series, Codename Starman. Follow the Starman as he uses his psychic abilities to crack cases the U.S. Navy has declared too unusual. Find out why the Pentagon calls him the X-Files guy. And what is the wormhole anyway? To find out, get your own tomato can and be ready for action, strange adventures, paranormal activity, and lots of cover models. In Codename Starman, The Kalashnikov Kiss by Mac Maloney. On sale now at Amazon and your local bookstore. Track Sashell here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macaroni. Well, what a show we have here tonight. We're in the middle of uh, one of our World War II trivia contests. Tonight's prize is $100. Let me introduce, before we introduce in the past, let me introduce the contestants because it's getting mean out there, folks. Jim Frankel, literary agent to the stars. Jim, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, really? Okay. He's got his sound cheerleaders, everything. Cool. Uh, also, <laughs> Way down there in South Carolina is Jocko Johnson. JoJo, JJ, how are you? Just here for the ride, baby. Okay, you read a lot of history, though. I know that you are. He a, must. Yeah. The guy is an encyclopedia. Yeah, he's a, he's like Coco in a way. So do you, do you read a lot of history books? I mean, do you read a book a day yeah, or anything? Look, like look that? behind me. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are stuff. And I got four other cases, like rooms like this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I started putting bookcases in the hallway. That's why I only get them on Audible now. Well, if you knew Jeez. that Patton bought, you know, his army outfitted, his army from Sears, man, you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. Anyway, I, I even knew the kind of weapons he bought. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't, it's I, amazing. I don't think there's a patent book out there that I haven't read yet. Really? It yeah. Is. It just yeah. got published. Yeah, well, you know, he, he lived right down the road from us in uh, Hamilton, yeah. Massachusetts right. for a while. Yeah, he's, he's, very, he's very misunderstood. There's so many things they've said about him in books and mm -hmm. not in really, in, 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 you know, in movies and things. But the movie you, was you, huge. Though. You read the books that people who worked with him, all like right. about like this reincarnation and stuff. That was all mis. Really? Oh yeah, him. yeah. His it's, um, he what, what he what he did was see, he was dyslexic, and so hmm. when he started, he had to be taught at home. Hmm. And his aunt lived with him, and they, they the aunt taught him, and um, he what? memorized these things and everything about history. He he would put it in his head like he yes. was there doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. How I remembered yeah. it. Well, you know. And so when he would bring these things up, and if you do look back at history. In the beginning of like ancient times, the same paths were always taken mm -hmm. in warfare to go wherever they had to go in Europe, especially. Hey, I'm glad he was and on our he side. He knew who did it already and won, and he knew what the right ways were. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but he had a, a bumpy career. That's another show. Phil Orbanes, how are you yeah, doing today, yeah, Phil? Yeah, yeah. Doing the, fine. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Grand Poopar of um, Winning Moves. Is it Winning Moves? It is Winning Moves. Winning Moves, uh, which uh, produces, um, among other things, the Ouija board, a um, specialized risk monopoly. And Phil is a the known expert around the world of monopoly. And I, we say this all the time. I've only played Monopoly once. I can't remember half of it. What if I beat you? Would that be like Houston, be <laughs> Houston beating KC? I don't know. Do you do, well, is, it, is it beginner's as, luck? As a friend. Yeah, as a friend of mine once said, Monopoly is sixty percent skill and sixty percent luck. Yogi Berra said that. I need a calculator for that. I've seen the greatest players fall because they just can't land on unowned properties yep. early in the game, and they have no trading material. Yeah. Right. So, how long would you and Mac like at a game? I, I don't understand any of that. So uh, he would win probably in about a minute or so. That right? would take well, hours. Uh, hours. If if you play by the rules, ninety minutes is a pretty good time. Really? To really? It's a torture, Mac. Sure. Ninety minutes. So it's an hour and a half. Okay. Right. All right. Let's do. Yeah. It. If you play by the rules. Only uh, also joining us tonight is uh, General Tom from Holmes Rod Troops. General, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. What's what's new with uh, Holmes Rod Troops? that you can tell us. Yeah, yeah we're just uh, continuing to do our mission, Mac. Really appreciate everybody that's uh, listening, all of our supporters out there, even through a couple years of COVID and all the challenges that we continue to have with uh, permitting mm -hmm. in home sites. And then, um, you know, things with supply chain issues, sure. uh, chip problems. We had delays and different things with the homes, but we keep putting them on the ground. We put 21 on, on the ground last year and we're yeah. a program for 26 for this next year. But wow. It's only because of great patriotic Americans that continue to support us that we're able to do that. That's great. That's one yeah. every two weeks. That's it. But, but you're doing it, General. You're doing. Yeah, you're doing it. Is right. But, a lot of people just you know they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. So, was, was my pitch um, when we opened the show right? I mean, the, the houses are built adapted for them, right? What What are some of the things that they might you know do, adapting wise? So, so most most of these uh, troops have challenges and barriers set up in their homes right now just to do the the basic mundane everyday things that 
all the rest of us take for granted. Uh-huh. Moving around in the morning, getting up, getting dressed, getting cleaned up, brushing your teeth, uh, getting something to eat, to drink, moving around the house, yes. uh, going to and from. All those kinds of things either require assistance from uh, maybe a family member, a spouse, a caregiver, or a buddy, uh-huh. uh, or it just takes an inordinately amount, uh, inordinately long time for them to do those little things. Right. Uh, just because of the way the homes are set up, they they're not always safe. They can't get around to every place in their home. Uh, a lot of them got to narrow doorways and hallways and such. They can't use wheelchairs. I've had some of the veterans tell me that their wheelchair is just out in the garage gathering dust until they get one of our homes. That it's a single level. Yep. Uh, no thresholds in the home except for the four doorways that Good. go to the outside. There are wider doorways that can come in in a wheelchair without having to you know, try and get out and maneuver through. They roll right through automatic door openers, cool. uh, countertops are lower, pull down shelving, a roll in shower, yes. uh, anywhere in the home, they could do a 360 in a wheelchair. Oh, that's so cool. when they come home from the day and, and uh, they've been on their prosthetics and they're tired and they want to take them off, they can drop into their chair and still get everywhere inside their home and do all the things they want to do. Just we build them specifically for the veterans but it affects the entire family yeah sure wow that is great man that is really super and 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 like i said before a lot of talk a lot of talk but you know who actually does it a lot of a lot of um charities out there uh, connected with military um veterans uh, you know don't have a um a stellar past let's say but you know i know that we, when we got uh, connected homes for our troops we looked into them, and we're just really glad to be buddied with you guys because I think you really do a great job. And the fact that these people who gave so much for us don't have a mortgage anymore, I think that's the coolest thing. So just think what you can do with that money that you're not, yeah. you know, that you're not with your mortgage. It's, no, it's, it's, it's really great. It's a wonderful mission. Can't do enough for these guys and gals. Like you said earlier, Mac, uh, it's the responsibility of our country to do this for them, but our government is not going to do it. They can't get out of their own way. Right. Uh, so it's got to be another exactly. organization that steps up. And one of the most unique things about us is after we give them the keys, we'll stay in touch with them mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. We want to celebrate those successes they're going to have, but they're all going to go through some challenges still as they move forward because they'll all be rehabbing and recovering for the rest of their lives. Right. And we want to yeah. be there to help them out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, that's that wonderful. Super. Um, so um, amazing. Um, great story. You have Thanks. them all, uh, they're all over the country, right? All over the country? They are. We built in uh, 44 states. This year we added Alaska and Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then over the next couple of years, we're going to be adding New Mexico um, and Wyoming, I think, are our next couple. And, and do you ever so get. We're going to be down to just the last few here pretty soon. Do you ever get any problems like from zoning boards and all that kind of stuff? I can't imagine anyone doing that, but I suppose that probably happens. You know, we had one like that in Maine that was a, a real challenge. We, we were building in Kennebunk. Uh, and, of course, when you get down at the local level with zoning and permitting, mm-hmm. uh, every, everybody's got a dog in the fight. Oh, yeah, sure. Everybody wants to be a part of it. So we just had to enlist some local council and people who knew the, uh, the folks that were sitting on the council and help us walk through that process. Because mm-hmm. all we wanted to do was put a home on the ground for this veteran. Uh, we didn't have any ulterior motives yeah, other right. than to make it work for him. So it just took us a little bit longer time. It took us about six to eight months of going through their processes. And mm-hmm. once we were able to do that and dot all the I's and cross all the T's, they were okay and we built home. Well, that's great, man. That's cool that you stuck with it. And I can't believe, but I can kind of believe up there in Kennebunk Point, it's a little fool for you. should got Bush involved. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. So anyway, I, I just want to uh, say Nip one thing. right in the bud. 
that um, you know we've been uh, talking about Homestar Truths for several years now, and 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 I know a lot of people out there hear us every week. But if you can, just right now, just uh, Google them and send a donation. And and can they say it's from that they're fan of the show? Would you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. We, one of the things that uh, is on the menu for them to donate is how did you hear about us? And oh, there's good. a drop down and you can write in okay. exactly how you heard about us. So if it was here on the show podcast, they can put that in and, and we'll be able to track it. That's good. That's cool. Keep it clean now, folks. Okay. So <laughs> go with the Homestrad Troops and donate while you're listening to the show. So is everyone ready for the third and final segment of the World War II Trivia Contest? Yes, sir. There we go. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to keep within hailing distance of see. Phil and Jockville. Uh, Raven, what are the scores? Raven. So I have Phil uh, leading with seven. Seven. I have Jocko right behind him with five. General Tom is four, and Jim is three. Okay, Jim. Don't worry, man. I lived next to Saratoga for 10 years. I've seen a lot of horses come from the back of the pack. Not that many. (laughs) I didn't have them, of course, but all right, there we go. Did you ever see the queen up there at all? Uh, no, she's probably up there undercover, though, knowing her. Yeah. All right, here we go. Historians agree that more than 30 countries participated in World War II, leading to a mind-boggling assemblage of alliances and declarations of war. With that in mind, which of the following statements is not true? Okay, 30 countries participated in World War II, lots of different alliances and so on. With that in mind, which of the following statements is not true? A. 100,000 troops from Tanganyika fought for the Allies in the Burma campaign. B, 2,000 troops from the Pacific island of Tonga served alongside American troops on Guadalcanal. C, following a coup in the capital city of Yulant on July 13, 1943, half the Mongolian army joined the Russians and fought in Stalingrad, while the other half joined with Japan and fought against British troops in Malaysia. And D, on December 24th, 1941, Haiti and Romania declared war on each other. I will go back. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. A. A. Who came up with this question? (laughs) We'll have to, whoever it is, we'll fire them on the staff. All right. They were vetted by all our experts, Tom. Just repeat the last one again. All right. Which which of these is not true? It's funny. Which of these is not true? Okay, here we go. 100,000 troops from Tanganyika fought with the Allies in Burma. 2,000 troops from the Pacific Island of Tonga served alongside American troops on Guadalcanal. Following a coup, half the Mongolian army joined the Russians, fought at Stalingrad. Uh-huh. The other half joined with Japan and fought down in Malaysia. Uh, and on December 24th, Haiti and Romania declared war on each other. Which one is not true? <laughs> What year was the December 24th? December 24th, Sorry. 1941. Pick a year, any year. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I know the Romanians were like German allies. I think it would be a funny movie, wouldn't it, if you know one tries to invade the other or whatever? Like the mouse that conquered right. the world. Yeah, the mouse of the land of the Okay, here we go. Are we ready? Read it one more time, Matt. Okay. All right, so 30 countries participated. Okay, one of these, and there's a lot of alliances. Uh, and... Um, uh, so one of these statements is not true. Which one is not true? 100,000 troops from Tanganyika fought for the Allies in Burma. 2,000 troops from the Pacific Island of Tonga served alongside American troops on Guadalcanal. Um, 
Half the Mongolian army deserted and joined the Russians in Stalingrad. The other half joined the Japanese uh, against Britain in Malaysia. And on December 24th, 1941, Haiti and Romania declared war on each other. Which you're statements think about that one now. are not true? You're making me think about that because the French okay. and Haiti were same colonies. Well, Jocko got one of those minds, doesn't he? Hmm? Inside the mind of Jocko. I'm not sure what kind of mind exactly, but he's got one. Okay, we ready, kids? Okay. Jim, I'm sorry. I'm going to pick on you. That's all right. I can't can't ignore D. I hate (laughs) the idea of Haiti declaring war on anybody. Yes, right. Um, You know. And why Romania? You know, I, mean, I, I don't even know. If, I don't even they didn't like the flag. Okay. So I vote for D. I, I just find you know, that hard to swallow. Sometimes. You don't believe that Haiti and Romania declared war on each other? Okay, Jocko, what do you say, Jocko? I, I want to say that, but it it was a colony, you know, of uh, France, I guess, at Go the ahead. time, or a Commonwealth. But yep. I, it's just so ridiculous. It's got to be. Got to be. But then again, because it is, it probably isn't. Okay, I'm going to go to the general. General, what do you say? Um, I'm going with C. I okay. think the uh, I think the Mongolians actually had an alliance with Russia before World War II yeah, against probably right. Japan. Okay. All right. So well, I'm I... thinking they didn't go half and half. Okay. For Russia and for Japan. Phil, what do you say? That... Phil. Well, the thing that troubles me about D is that as was pointed out, Haiti is a colony of France. Mm-hmm. So France would have declared war on the um, allies of Germany in 1940, and Haiti would not have held out until, you said, December 24th, 1941? Right. Uh, So I'm going to have to go with D. All right, everyone's cool with 100,000 troops from Tanganyika fighting in Burma. That's okay. All right. Apparently. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I think so. I don't even know where it is. Okay, the untrue statement is the one about the Mongolians. The general was right. He is right. Yeah, I was just like, right, general. I thought about it after. They were actually right by me because the Russian, the Japanese invaded China. Ah, you know that flew right by me. They did uh, have a a treaty with the Russians, and the Russians did not attack Japan during World War II to the very, very end. Okay. I know they got their butts kicked in Stalingrad because they would give like. One guy, four bullets, the guy, like three guys ahead of you, a rifle and say, you know, when he dies, pick the rifle up. You got yeah. three bullets and uh-huh. go right on and on. Here we go. Yeah, and use your bayonets too, by the way. Um, I should have even had them. They the kitchen knives. <laughs> well, use your forks. What are the forks for? All right, here we go. Here we go. Uh, many crazy weapons were discussed and developed during World War II. For example, the British began development of a massive iceberg aircraft carrier. The Russians put wings on a tank and try to make it fly. <laughs> okay. Those are true. Of the four examples below, which ones are true? Of the four examples below, which ones are true? That Germany came close to developing nuclear-armed ICBMs with plutonium dirty-tipped warheads. B, that Japan developed a working death ray. C, Stalin ordered Russian scientists to create a massive army of half-humans and half-apes, dubbed the Humanzees. <laughs> D. The U.S. military developed a suicidal cat bomb in which a cat's natural fear of water would help it direct an aerial bomb oh. towards a floating target. 
So what the question is, which one of these? <laughs> which one is true? <clears throat> Wait, we didn't hear the rest of the cat bomb. I'm sorry. Which one is true, right, Max? Yes. Is that which ones are true? Which ones are true? They're talking about crazy weapons. Which okay. ones, plural? Yeah, which ones are true? Okay. Germany so came. In other words, we're, so we're going to have multiple letters for the answer. Uh, uh, yes, right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Here we go. So, uh, can you get one and one of how many are true? I don't know. Right. Do we have, to, like, do we have it... to guess them all? Yeah. If you yeah. get, I mean, if you get them all right, then you get the point. Yes. Okay. Do and we want? Should we have? Wrong, you get nothing. Now let's have fractions of a point. Should we do that? Raven, I'm looking at you. Going, them, okay. All right. We can do that. Let's, I might, let's I see. Might let's see who gets scores, them right. But <laughs> First, <laughs> maybe put in the copy for the host. Yeah, hang on. All right. So, so read these uh, bizarre okay. things again, Mac. Which of these are true? We're talking about crazy weapons during World War II. Germany came close to developing nuclear-armed ICBMs with plutonium-tipped dirty warheads. B. Japan developed a working death ray. C. Stalin ordered Russian scientists to create a massive army of half-humans, half-apes, dubbed the Humanzees. D. The U.S. military developed a suicidal cat bomb in which the cat's natural fear of water would help it direct an aerial bomb towards a floating target. Would help would do what? Would help direct an aerial bomb towards a floating target. Everybody's wow. shaking his head. Right. I, mean, we, I don't know. Should I have asked how many whiskers in Hitler's mustache? Would that have been easier? How about the cats and the bombs? Okay. How many whiskers? Huh? Oh. What was Hitler's dog's name? Do we want to go down that route? Oh, he yeah, had was, a German uh, shepherd. Blondie. 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 Hmm? Right. And I learned that from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> there you go. Did you? And we're supposed to name you? all of these that were true, Mac? Okay, we'll go around the horn. Let's go. General, just read the cat question from start to finish again. No, I can't. I got to turn the mic off. I got to understand this. The U.S. military developed a suicidal cat bomb in which a cat's natural fear of water would help it direct an aerial bomb towards a floating target. Get ready, General. Again, is is there just one, or could they all four be? There's all possibilities in the oh, endless geez. metaverse. Okay, uh, so we'll go to you first, just to make it fun. Oh, poor guy. Oh, poor Tom. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go with A and B. Okay, Phil. I go with B and C. Okay, Jocko. Yeah, you're killing me. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with A. And then what was the one with the death ray? That B. was B. That was B. A and B? Yeah, there's probably none of them, but okay. Jim. <laughs> A and B. A and B? Okay. General, you're right on uh, at first. All four of them are true. All four of them. What? Uh, true. <laughs> now listen to Get this. Out of here. Stalin. Mark, send me something about the cat bomb. Stalin please. ordered. So everyone's going to get. Yeah, a point. Quarter of a point. A quarter, a quarter of a point. Of a point? <laughs> yes. Quarter of a point for each one. Yes. I asked. Right. Yeah, you get so two, you, you get, get a half. You get one, you get a quarter. Yeah. Three quarters or a whole point. Oh, you're telling me. So let me just tell you about a little bit of uh, background. So so the, the Stalin ordered the Russian scientist is actually a true story that he wanted to, to 
to combine yeah. apes and have this kind of army that you didn't care if you know they got wiped out or not. As it turned out, he was always, he was always drunk. So yeah, he didn't use the monkeys. Um, that was the only one I thought wasn't true, and I thought all the other ones were. Yeah, I'm like, too, there's yeah. no way that would be true. He actually did yeah. it. Uh, the Japan did develop a working death ray, but you had to stand still for 30 minutes for it to have any effect on you. And they figured, well, people probably run <laughs> oh, away. So like, yeah, no at problem. That point. Okay. I think they were able. I think they were able to kill a rabbit with it. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. They probably yeah. ate it. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Um, the Germans did come close to uh, discovering plutonium, you know, and and they did weren't sure how to maximize it. So the whole idea was that they might put dirty bomb uh, warheads on their ICBMs. And with the suicidal cat bomb, what they did was they had this a large bomb with a with a, a plexiglass nose, and they just this is all on the on the drawing board, and they just figured that uh, because a, a cat didn't want to go anywhere near water that somehow it would magically steer this bomb down to what wasn't water, which was a ship and, you know. Feet, little paws. You know what happened. No, 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 go right, yeah. go right. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> so, yeah, those are all true. All four of them are true. Okay. All right, here we go. So far-fetched. All right, here we go. Um, uh, well, that's one thing about World War II, because I've been reading about it for years, and you always, if you really look, there's always something new about it, you know? So, anyway, here we go. Um, right, this is our second and last question. There were hundreds of battles fought during World War II on land, air, and sea. Some lasted days, others lasted weeks or even longer. But the longest battle of the war lasted five years, eight months, and five days. It cost 36,000 American lives, 32,000 German lives, and nearly 1,000 airplanes and ships. What is the name of this battle? There are hundreds of battles fought during World War II on land, air, and sea. Some lasted days, others lasted weeks or even longer. But the longest battle of the war lasted five years, eight months, and five days. It killed 36,000 allies, 32,000 Germans, and cost nearly cost nearly 1,000 airplanes and ships. What is the I name of this it. battle? Okay, uh, Jim, I'm going to go to you. Wait, we, we, this oh, is not an A, B, C, or D? I'm sorry. No, no, this is just, you know it or not. I got okay. it. Battle of the Atlantic. Draco. Battle of the Atlantic. Phil. Battle of the Atlantic. Yep. And General. Yep. yep. Atlantic. Battle of the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. It was. I was trying to downplay, but, but um, thirty. It cost more Allied lives than Germans, and I suppose that would make sense, right? When you think about it. But not that many more. And uh, also, one of the facts I came upon is that one out of every four German submarines, uh, you know, uh, survived the war. One out of four, so twenty-five percent. Yeah, it was it was a suicidal service after a while. Okay, so here we go. This is the last question. Are we ready? Is what, this what, multiple is choice, or is this if you know it or not? Yeah, this is uh, multiple choice. What is what are the uh, okay. scores, uh, Rave? Okay, we are. Phil has eight and a quarter. Phil. No, I, I got eight. No, I have eight and a half. Eight and a half. Or eight and a half. It's not a quarter? I thought it was a quarter. Okay, well, no, I, I got B and C for a quarter right. point each. Eight and a half. Oh! Mr. Monopoly. Okay. Yes. Yes, yeah. I told you I would mess that up. Oh. All right, eight and a half. Doggo's at six, six and a half. Six and a half. General Tom is at six and a half, so they're tied. Okay. And Jim is at four and a half. Four and a half. Okay. All right. Get ready, Jim. Okay. Here's the last one. Oh, you're at a quarter. That. Okay. okay. See ya. So the winner gets a hundred bucks. You got it. You got it, Raven. Let's be interesting. 
Okay, ready? What, ready. Ce what celebrity was the first American to hear about the death of Joseph Stalin? What celebrity was the first American to hear about the death of Joseph Stalin? Not really a World War II question, but... 1953, right? Okay. Ready? Chef Julia Childs, actor Jimmy Stewart, musician Johnny Cash, or NBC weatherman Willard Scott. What celebrity was the first American to hear about the death of Joseph Stalin in 1953? This happened. Chef Julia Childs, actor Jimmy Stewart, musician Johnny Cash, NBC weatherman Willard Scott. Read them one more time, please. Okay. What celebrity was the first American to hear about the death of Joseph Stalin? Chef Julia Child, Jimmy Stewart, actor, musician Johnny Cash, or NBC weatherman Willard Scott? Okay, we ready? Here we go. Phil, I'll start with you. Phil, you're the leader. <laughs> well, I know Julius. You say Julia Child. Julia right? Child, yep. Well, I knew she was an OSS agent. Uh, if she was it's still in France, which I don't know, okay. uh, she may have um, been likely to hear it through her sources pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with A. Okay. Uh, Jocko. Man, I tell you, that's crazy. I'm going to say, because I, I was thinking the same thing with Phil did about Julia and the other guys, uh, Jimmy Stewart was a colonel and a pilot and uh, bomber pilot. But man, the war was over. He mm -hmm. was back in Hollywood, I bet. I don't know if he went to Korea, but that would that help? I don't know who was the third guy. I don't remember. Uh -huh. For some out, I don't know. I just got something in my head that I read or heard or saw something where Willard Scott did something after the war as a correspondent. So I'm, I'm going to go with him. I okay. don't know why. But Let's go. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, general, I'm bouncing go around in my mind over there somewhere. It's probably a loose wire, but it's okay. You can fix those. <laughs> go ahead, General. I'm gonna uh, go with Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy just Stewart. for the heck of it. Okay, Jim, here's your time to shine, there, brother. I'm going to say Julia Child. Oh wow, very good <laughs> invitation. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Okay, ready? Johnny Cash. I knew oh. it. Oh, I should have played. No. Okay, so Johnny Cash enlisted in the Air Force on July 7th, 1950. Oh, that's right. After six months of training, he was assigned to the 12th Radio uh, Squadron in Landsberg, Germany. Uh, he became very adept at, at listening, for, uh, try to break codes and everything on the radio. And on um, March 5th, 1953, he, was the he intercepted the first message saying that Stalin had died. Wow. Johnny Cash, oh. yeah. He, he now, a, did it say Archangel died and he just knew who he was or his code name? Or what? He, uh, he, he broke a lot of codes, yeah. So, Ray um, General, didn't we call him Archangel? Wasn't that his code? Uh -huh. Stalin? I uh -huh. don't remember, Jacko. Johnny's was the uh, man in black, right? Yeah. So listen. <laughs> that was uh, a heck of a question there, Mac. Yep, oh, both. Uncle Joe. That's yeah. amazing. So uh, Phil won. Let's please That's give him. That's a fun fact. Phil Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah, Don't be slow losers, you guys. There we go. Yeah. Jocko. Well, you well, took I my title. Me and the general. One hand on the other. Uh, Phil. A rematch. 
We're going to give you. We will have a rematch. Phil, we're going to give you a check for a hundred dollars from the show for winning tonight. That's right. It's going out for dinner right now. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to do it. Okay. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we take a break real quick? Everyone, just stay. Uh, put, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Moni's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back. My dad, he's a double amputee, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. Homes for our troops built this house, and my dad can get through the wide doorways. He can reach anything. Homes for Our Troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. There's a monster in Tokyo Bay, hundreds of feet tall and breathing fire. It's able to destroy whole cities, sink entire battle fleets, and knock swarms of jet fighters from the sky. But there's another even more dangerous resident of the bay. A secretive psychopath intent on covering the planet with nuclear-armed booby traps unless the world's population bends to their demands. Meanwhile, a mysterious group of reborn medieval warriors has taken to the air. Strange signals are being picked up from outer space, and witnesses report seeing hundreds of ghost planes flying in the night skies over Tokyo. Sailing off the coast of Japan aboard the United American Navy's mega-aircraft carrier, the USS USA, it's Hawk Hunter, the wingman. He must investigate these unusual occurrences while trying to thwart the criminal's apoleptic plan. But will his actions save the planet or lead to World War IV? Find out in Mac Maloney's exciting new novel, The Jericho Storm. Filled with dozens of dogfights, sea battles, and brutal hand-to-hand combat, The Jericho Storm is book 21 in Mac's best-selling Wingman series. Team up with Hawk's longtime allies, as well as a few new ones, including fighter pilots Switchblade Steve Ward and Jocko Johnson. That's Wingman 21, The Jericho Storm. On sale now at your local bookstore and on Amazon. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Ong's Hat, and the very mysterious M-Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with a forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Imagine if there was a super secret satellite in outer space that could read your thoughts and alter your reality. Imagine if the U.S. government had no knowledge that this satellite even existed. Now imagine if such a powerful weapon fell into the wrong hands. In the latest adventure of Mac Maloney's best-selling detective series, codenamed Starman, Lieutenant Chris Starr of the Navy's X-Files team is given his strangest case yet, track down the ghost of a rogue Navy SEAL who holds the secret to the God Satellite. Once again teamed with beautiful Irish detective Mara McCann, Starr finds himself looking for clues from the streets of Rome to a mysterious snow-covered mountain in Arizona to Africa's forbidding skeleton coast, and finally, in outer space itself. 
But it's only when he realizes a secret vision in the desert points right back to where the case started does Star finally learn what the God Satellite is really about. That's The God Satellite, codenamed Starman, book number three by Mac Maloney, on sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. And listen to Mac's show to learn how you can win a free copy. Where is the Sea of Moons? Is it on the moon? Or in a haunted part of the Pacific Ocean? Or is it just in our heads? What if you dreamed of meeting a beautiful Irish girl, but she turned out to be a cop? What if you dreamed that you were on TV 24-7, but only the government knew the channel? And what if you dreamed you were shipwrecked on a deserted island and rescued by five lovely castaways, only to have some real pirates ruin the party? Then you should wake up and read The Sea of Moons, the latest installment in Mac Maloney's best-selling series, codenamed Starman. Follow the adventures of U.S. Navy Special Agent Chris Starr as he travels the globe using his special ESP powers to solve top-secret mysteries, first in Ireland, then in Tahiti, and finally to Hollywood, where Chris and his girlfriend Angel discover the only spooks inside an old haunted house belong to the CIA. That's Codename Starman, The Sea of Moons by Mac Maloney, on sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. We've all heard of Area 51, the U.S. government's top secret base in the Nevada desert. But have you ever heard of Area 52, or 53, or 54? 54? 54? How about Tonopah Test Range, or the Navy's secret base inside the Bermuda Triangle? Find out about them and more in Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Did Richard Nixon show Jackie Gleason a crashed alien spaceship near the swamps of Florida? Is it true that more UFOs are seen over a small Scottish village than anywhere else in the world? And is there a secret place in Russia that some people think is heaven on earth? In Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, you'll visit more than a dozen top secret places around the globe. The haunted forests of New Jersey. A valley in Colorado where shadows come alive and humans can fly without wings. And where's the only secret base in America that's not been visited by UFOs? You've heard Mac talk all about these places on his radio show. Now you can read all about them yourself. That's Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Now on sale at Amazon. Imagine you knew what was going to happen two seconds before it happened. Imagine you lived with the world's most beautiful supermodel. Imagine you drove a Jaguar with machine guns behind the headlights. Well, it's time to stop dreaming and start reading about Navy Lieutenant Chris Starr, hero of Mac Maloney's new best-selling paranormal detective series, codenamed Starman. Who murdered the most beautiful tea girl in San Diego? Who's bombarding a small Massachusetts town with heavy artillery on Christmas Eve? Who's causing the mass murder of terrorists in the jungles of Africa? These are the cases Lieutenant Chris Starr must solve in the Kalashnikov Kiss, the first book in Mac's exciting new series, codenamed Starman. Follow the Starman as he uses his psychic abilities to crack cases the U.S. Navy has declared too unusual. Find out why the Pentagon calls him the X-Files guy. And what is the wormhole anyway? To find out, get your own tomato can and be ready for action, strange adventures, paranormal activity, and lots of cover models. In Codename Starman, The Kalashnikov Kiss by Mac Maloney. On sale now at Amazon and your local bookstore.
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. It was uh, one of a series of World War II trivia contests, and uh, Juan Juan and um, Raven are here with us tonight, but also our contestants are, um, are uh, let's see, where will we start? Should we start down the bottom? Jim Frankel. Jim, how many points did you get? Do you want to? Do you want us to? Three quarters. Okay. All right. Also, Phil O'Baines is here with us, the ultimate winner. Phil. I, nice to be here. I can tell you still a glow. A glow from winning. Jocko Johnson, always a glow. Had a great time, man. Okay. You cracked me up with some of them questions. Also, General That's Tom. Sure. General Tom from Homestar Troops. Uh, tonight we've been talking a lot about Homestar Troops. Thanks for joining us again, General. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Mac. And uh, tonight I was barely able to keep up with Jocko, so I consider that a success. Wow, there you go. <laughs> Spin on, it. Talk, those, talk about those spinning. Those are great questions. They were really uh, bizarro. Thank you, Juan. Uh, I appreciate that. They were great. Yeah, they were very good. So for, for, boggling. for a while, uh, General, you flew a helicopter, right? I did. Mm-hmm. Was it a Cobra helicopter? I started off flying uh, Hueys mm-hmm. and then transitioned into the Cobra. Right. And then the, uh, the last... Aircraft I flew rated in anyway was a Blackhawk. Really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. I see that, that they that must have been quite an experience. Uh, love flying. Really? That's why I went into it. Uh, was in the Army for about five years before I transitioned from being a tanker over to a helicopter pilot, but in, enjoyed it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Two of the best things to ever do in the Army sounds we, like. We ask uh, Coco this all the time. What's the difference? I mean, don't you have to be a little more smarter to fly a helicopter than just an airplane? Seems like more is involved. Well, uh, a helicopter actually doesn't want to fly. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad point yeah, number it one. It has to beat itself into submission to, you know, break those surly bonds of the earth. Yes, and get up there in the sky. So it's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I don't know. I've I've flown with I've flown with some uh, fighter jocks before. Put them in a front seat of a Cobra and flown them around and. Mm-hmm. And they've always uh, told us that they get more of a sensation of going fast when you're in a helicopter because you're so low to the ground and yes. it's zipping by as opposed to flying up at ten or twenty thousand feet and then dropping down and going through. It's just just a different different thing. Right. Yeah. Both both great great fun. A different experience. See, that's what I don't really like to fly, and that's one of the things that bothers me is that when you're up there, you have no sense of motion at all. But I've been in little planes where you do have that. Yeah, you, you definitely have that sense. The only the only time you don't have is when you happen to punch into the clouds. Then you're mm-hmm. it's like flying on the inside of a cotton swab or something. Yeah, really. Yeah. Huh. Wow. So was it fun to fly? Yeah, the Cobra Cobra was like this little kind of sleek uh, attack aircraft uh, helicopter. Was it fun to go around and shoot things up with that thing? I love flying that aircraft. I. I I wanted to get in and fight that aircraft because it shot big bullets. Mm, yeah, and I was okay, okay with that. <laughs> okay, well, nice. Yeah. Right? Wow, and they're still around, right? They're still around. They're a Vietnam era kind of uh, invention, but they're still around, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and the Marine Corps has them, but they're uh, two engines. Two engines. Okay, which is right. a lot better idea than one engine. Oh yeah, right. Okay, two engines yeah, over water. Like, yep. Okay. I guess the Z model is like they're fully, they're totally. I mean, they say they're equal to the Apache. I don't. Yeah, know. the Apache helicopter. Yeah, I, I don't know if they can actually carry as much of a load as an Apache can, right. but uh, it's it's still a good aircraft. Right. Yeah. Still fly, but the the Apache is definitely a, uh, 
an up gun model, bigger sure. uh, chain gun on the front, and then very scary uh, all the hellfires it can carry as well. Yeah, very scary yeah. Uh, aircraft. The uh, Apache. Both of them. Uh, yeah, both of them. You're right. So, and then later on, uh, you were in Korea. Were you running the entire c- peninsula of Korea? Is that what we're saying? I was in charge well, of the I was, Yeah, I was in charge of the army installations on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, a few years back, the army uh, split the uh, command and control structure so that the operational units would just have to worry about training and fighting. And then the administrative side would be run by another command. Okay. And when I got promoted to general officer, that was my first assignment was to move over to Korea and work on the installation side of the house. Mm-hmm. You told us the last time you were on that you, you liked being in Korea, you liked the place, right? I did. I, you know, there was, I liked everywhere I was assigned. Hmm. A lot of people ask me, what was your favorite? And I don't know that I had one favorite. I had I had different favorites for different reasons. Yep, yep. Um, you know, Germany was great food, and you could never find a, you know, a Gasthaus that didn't have great food and beer. That's good. In it. Yep. You go to uh, Japan, and the, the entire country was polite to a fault. Mm. Uh, you could drive for hours around Tokyo at, you know, two miles an hour sitting in traffic with <laughs> yes. 30 million of your closest friends and never hear a horn honk. I was going to say, you can uh, drive in Tokyo and go two inches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know that. Yeah. It's not like Rome. When I, uh, when I first reported in there, it was a about a six-hour drive from the airport back into the base, but it was only 22 miles. Mm-hmm. Wow, really? Yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Speaking of Korea, has anybody here seen the uh, current movie called Devotion? No, yeah, not, not yet. Not yet. No. Do you know about it? No. What's it about? Yeah. Ha, ha, have you seen it? Really? Have, 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 have you seen it, Phil? Pardon me. Have you seen it, Phil? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it. Okay. It's really an outstanding uh, movie about uh, two pilots in the Korean War. Oh, yes. It's based yeah, on a true yes. story. Yeah. Uh, one of the pilots is the first black pilot uh, to receive a commission uh, to be a carrier pilot. The the whole thing takes place. Uh, on the USS Lady and the missions they flew in Corsairs yep. uh, in the early days of Korea, and that's—I wow. think—that's about all I should tell you. But it's great story. Uh, I checked it out. It's factual yep. and it's really moving. Yeah, for you, Corsairs, the, the prop Corsairs, not the jets. Prop yep. Corsairs, yep. right? Great. Just before the jets came in. Great airplane. I guess I, I, I remember these, these we were. Ground, were... They, these were basically the equivalent of helicopters. They were ground attack aircraft. Uh, you know, they had some iron bonds, but mainly it was rockets that they used to take out their targets. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil, I, I once, uh, we did a detail in New York when I was on the police department. Of, you know, every year they'd have that ship, uh, they would have like ship week, you know, the weekend they'd all come in the sails. Yes. And uh, I was assigned week. to these pilot, this group of pilots from uh, one of the aircraft carriers. They flew an EA-6B, the Prowler, the Jammer. Yes, it was, Florida, it was four of these guys. And so we had like, be their good luck ambassadors and basically protect them so nobody would take advantage of them when they got drunk and stuff. Go ahead. And and you cannot call them pilots. No. They're naval aviators. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the Navy, Sorry. right, General? Who needs this? The Navy. Don't <laughs> I mean, they take off, you know, and land kind of different. So let me ask the general. And it's a funny thing because the commercial for that movie, Devotion, the guy, yes. I think he's going to ask him about, you know, something else. And he goes, No, I'm the first naval aviator. Okay. How yeah, hard is it exactly. to be a, a black naval aviator? He says, General. And, but, you know, he doesn't say black. He says, He doesn't say black. 
Right. He said, but, said first but, that's, but that's what the reporter anticipates him. Correct. Right. He's, he's smart enough not to say that. What but is, it's a real thing. I mean, you really need yes. to call him that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what, what is what is interesting in the movie is they start off and they're all Bearcat pilots mm -hmm. and uh, they're very adept at them. And then just before they ship out, they get retrained in the newest version of the Corsair, mm -hmm. which basically has a bomber engine you right, know, yeah. and a very long nose. And the mm. thing is, when you're landing that plane on a carrier, <laughs> you can't see the carrier deck. <laughs> yeah, that's how how obstructive the nose is. Details, details. Hey, general, let me ask you this question, okay? Because you were general. So when you were general, did you have your own uh, helicopter or anything like that? Anything cool? Um, you know, when I was in the Second Infantry Division, we had we had a command aviation detachment that had a few helicopters that were dedicated to flying the command group around. And oftentimes you would end up flying with the same crew. Yep. So it might be the same pilot and co-pilot and crew chief yep. that were always detailed to fly with you, but sometimes they'd switch around. Oh yeah. Did they ever let you fly? No, I sat in the back and got flown. That <laughs> oh, is much fun. Stink. <laughs> okay. But the thing about, you know, being an aviator is sitting in the back and they know you're an aviator. So mm. they also know that they're getting graded when they come in for landings and oh, stuff. Okay. Cause you'd always give them a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. And and I know I asked you this before, but did you ever get the vibe that people were worried that you were, you know, there, that you were, aren't they all saying, oh, the general's coming today and we have to ship up and shape out or whatever, ship up, shape up? Some folks look at it that way. Others look at it as an opportunity to shine. <laughs> wow, man. Good spin. All right, John. He's got it all. How, how many years were you in uh, uh, total? Uh, 33. 33, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good for you. And um, listen, so Phil, tonight, and, and of course the journalist connected to Homes for Our Troops, we've been talking about them a lot tonight. Phil is our $100 winner tonight, and he has a brief announcement to make. Yes, I would be delighted to donate the $100 prize that I won to Homes for Our Troops. Okay. And please. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. We really appreciate that. And I would tell you that as soon as I get off of here, I'll get onto our website and I'll match you. Oh, hey. oh yes. Hi. Okay. Yeah. And uh, people who are listening at home, just go on uh, the website and, uh, you know, give whatever to Homes for Our Troops. Very worthy organization. And uh, we've been uh, friends with them for a long time and will be for years to, uh, to come. So, uh, once again, uh, General, just tell everybody what your mission is. We're a national charity located just outside of Boston, Massachusetts in Taunton, and we build specially adapted custom homes across the country and then donate them to the most severely injured post 9-11 veterans to enable them to rebuild their lives. And we've been around since 2004. To date, we've built 346 homes in 44 states. We got another 75 projects underway across the country, another 100 more of these veterans in the application process of our program. And on top of all those numbers, there's still another thousand more of these veterans severely injured enough that need one of our homes. And we intend to give every one of them a home. Uh, we average about 20 to 25 a year. So you do that quick math mm. uh, and you can tell we got a lot of work to do. And we need all the help mm. we can get, Mac. Right. And you say, hey, Mac, may I say something quick? Sure, go ahead. Since I came in second place, I don't have that hundred, but I'm going to send $24, make a $25. There you go, 25 all right. Thanks, Jack. Jack and all. I'm just a humble retired civil servant. I wish I could send you more, but. Okay. Wow. Every so, bit helps. So, um, um, Thank you, Joe. Is every house um, 
is every house different? Do you know what I mean? Is every house different? We have, yeah, we, we've got a, a general floor plan, mm-hmm. uh, but each of the veterans, depending on exactly what their injuries are, uh, will change a little bit. And they can also make some choices like uh, we have a kitchen in the front option or in the back, mm-hmm. and that changes the look inside the house. They can have a four-bedroom, two-bathroom. They can have a three-bedroom with a bonus room. And then coming in through the garage uh, into the home, they can either have a, uh, a pantry or a mud room. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they also get to make decisions on how many of the doorways leading the outside. They want to be automated and have a clicker where they can just open the door oh, yeah. instead of having to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, we go through all that uh, with them. All the There's more than 40 special adaptations in every home right. designed to restore that freedom and independence. And we have a pre-plans meeting with each one of our veterans and our construction team to go over all those adaptations and to make sure it really is built for them. Right. Go ahead, Raven. Do they get to pick the color? I know that's really dumb. They pick, no, it's not, it's not dumb at all. Um, They do pick all the colors from, you know, whatever the the roof, um, whether it's tile or shingles and what color the shingles are, the color of the siding, all the paint on the inside, the color of the floor, the cabinets, everything they pick and hmm. I've, it, it runs the gamut i've seen yeah them, you know, so it's really totally tailored to areas. them then yeah and, and oh, they get to do great. and some of them have kids so i've walked yeah. into some of those back bedrooms that you know yes. are bright pink and and purple and different things like that and i i kind of chuckle and mm-hmm. tell the veteran in a couple of years, uh, when that when that young man gets a little bit older, he's going to drop that dinosaur like a hot rock and <laughs> have to repaint this room. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all for them, however they want to do it. Oh, that's funny. That's great. And um, you said once, General, that uh, you know we we talk about how the government isn't doing the job, you know, won't do the job probably. But you said once, it's up to us, it's up to Americans to help these people out. We can't rely on the government to do the right thing, right? It's, it's correct. We, we don't look at what we do as charity, even though we are a 501c3. We look at what we do as the moral obligation of the citizens of our country to repay a very small portion of a debt that will never be completely repaid to these troops and their families. We just happen to be the organization you can donate to to make it happen. Hmm. Okay, cool. Homes for our Amen. troops. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just to Google them and, uh, you know, and, and donate some and say you heard about it. On the show, okay? So I'm going to start to thank everyone. I'm going to start with you, General. Thanks very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Mac. Always enjoy being with y'all. I look forward to it and hope everybody has a happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. When are we going out for Thank beers? Awesome. Thank you, General. Forget about that stuff. When are we going out for beers there, General? Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll uh, be back up to Boston area next week. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. All right. Let's see what we can do. That's good. Matter of fact, we've, Mac, we've also got a bill going right now in Mattapoisett. Oh, really? Yeah? Okay. That's not the case. We do. Right. Uh, okay. We can talk uh, off here about those things, especially the drink. Mattapoisett. Uh, we love Mattapoisett. We love Taunton, too. Villa Baines. Winning moves. The big poopa. Mr. Monopoly. Thanks for joining us tonight and winning uh, tonight's uh, World War II trivia contest. It was, it was sincerely an honor to be here and to participate. So thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to wish happy holidays and a very happy new year to everybody, mm-hmm. all your listeners, as well as the uh, the posse and those who like uh, uh, Juan Juan and uh, Raven who did the work. Yes. yes. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you. Same to, same to Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Thank you, everybody. Yes. Thank it was you. tough. It was tough keeping score tonight with all those bunch of points. 
Yeah. Jocko, do you have uh, anything to say for your uh, middle-of-the-road win? Just uh, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy whatever. They got holidays for everything. So mm-hmm. whatever floats your boat. And happy, happy to be here. Yes. Yep, okay. I appreciate it, and I'm glad to be here. Okay. Good luck to everybody and everybody. Health and happiness. Jim. Peace, must... love, and happiness, definitely. Jim Thank must... You. Mac, for those crazy, crazy trivia questions. Yes, yes. Yeah, Some very good. Okay. Um, I'm not sure which was the most surprising, Johnny Cash or or the four ridiculous weapons that mm-hmm. people wanted to build. I think um, st- but, uh, Stalin turning uh, monkeys into uh, soldiers <laughs> is the craziest thing. No, but I think it's the cat. The, cat, the, cat su- the suicide cat bomb. Suicide that's cat. the one they got. Oh, that is oh, Raven just came across. Are you imagine? Okay. Yeah. Right. How does the cat tell you where he wants it to go? They didn't. They, Maybe that's why. Details. You know. Details, man. <laughs> anyway, that's why, that's anyway. why it never happened. Right. So <laughs> I want to. to be yes. Glad to be with us. Yeah, that's all. Okay. All yes, right. And uh, I wish everybody happy, bright holidays and uh, a swift return to lighter days. Yes. Mm. Yes. 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 So, well, thanks to all the contestants and thanks to the members of. Uh, the Posse one one and of course Raven. Thanks for joining us. And uh, and for keeping score and for keeping the time. And uh, so this is Mac Maloney for the entire gang. Please once again uh, Google Homes for our troops, see what they're about, and uh, throw a donation their way and say that you heard about it on the show. Let's see what happens. And uh, so this is Mac for the entire gang. To hear us again, be safe, be happy, and bye bye. <laughs>